Well, welcome to the No Regrets Podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Today, I'm talking with Jacob Zatino. I have known Jacob. I met Jacob, what year was it? Probably 2012? No, it was actually earlier than that. It was like 2011. Oh, really? Maybe 2010, like the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've known him a few years and I wanted to talk to him today because he has got quite a journey and I may not know his earlier story, but when I met him, he was um, in the army. He was a soldier and we both worked at Fort Irwin. He was stationed at Fort Irwin and I worked there as a civilian. And so he's an army veteran turned producer and screenwriter and he's living and breathing the LA lifestyle. And <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to him to hear how he went from being a soldier to now being a Hollywood producer. And so thank you. Jacob for willing to do this for me and yeah, talk to me and your time. I know it's very precious. So welcome. <laughs> no, thank you again for having me. I'm truly grateful. Okay, great. So um, I do start off with some basic questions just to give our listeners, you know, an image of who you are and where you came from. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, talking a little bit about like where you live now, uh, your age, how you uh, became to live in LA. I think you live in Beverly Hills or something. And I know you've been all over the place. Yeah, let's just talk about your story. And, you know, I want to hear everything. Like, where did, where did you want to be when you grew up? And did life turn out the way you thought it would? And, you know, do you believe that there's a specific timeline for life and all those societal standards, all that good stuff? So I'll turn okay. it over to you and yeah, I can't wait to hear what's been going on. What's been going yeah. on? <laughs> um, <laughs> that could, I don't know if you have enough time on the podcast. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, well, first off, I'm 35 years old. And um, did you need my name again? Or No, no, no. So used to saying that and that's military habit also, you know. Oh, yeah. You and when keep you do your name, rank you know. and social. All yeah, that fun stuff. When you slate for movies. Exactly. <laughs> I, I did take a couple but, acting um, classes, so I'd like to think of myself as an expert now. You. No, I'm just kidding. A couple years ago, I took a couple acting classes, and in addition to that, like a voiceover class. I did the acting because I'm, I do have a, I've always had an interest in like the behind the scenes of TV and film. And, but I mostly did it to get out of my comfort zone. And I can't tell you the first night I thought I was going to throw up because <laughs> I thought for sure they would, it's all about getting up in front of people and trying to do something. And boy, was I wrong. Acting is so different. Um, but I like the voiceover stuff better just because it's more behind the scenes and stuff. But anyway, so. True. Yeah. Acting is kind of like therapy also, because you really have to oh, open yes. yourself up. Yeah. And yeah, it puts you in a very vulnerable position. It does. And I will tell you one night, um, I had a really bad day and we had to do these exercises. There's like all these crazy exercises you have to do. And I was just like, I do not want to freaking be here tonight. I don't want to do this. So it really pushes you to the envelope. But anyway, it's enough about me. So... Mm. <laughs> No, that's awesome, though. It is a good experience. I think everyone should try it at least once. I think so, too. Yeah. It really is. It's it's really fun. And I did that a little bit, too, um, after the military, of course. But, oh, you um, did? Yeah, I did. Like when you went to film school or what? 
Um, before film school, it was actually when I was living in New York. I was in Manhattan, and I went to a conservatory there in New York, and I was there for about almost a couple years. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. I don't, I don't think. Well, yeah, I just realized uh, I don't think um, I was able to catch her that time because I was in New York. I never came back to California during that time. So, so do you like being? You, you started your own uh, production company, uh, Dapper Penguin Productions. Do you like to be mm -hmm. more behind the scenes then after that experience? I do. See, it's, it's kind of uh, funny how that even ended up anyways, how I kind of fell into the, the acting and then but really ultimately ended up in producing. As, um, when I was a kid, subconsciously, I just knew I wanted to produce. But you just always have so much fun. You always, as a kid, you're always in front of the camera. You're always doing things. But it really just hit me more when I was in New York. And I knew that it didn't fill the void that I just had, you know, from acting. It's, I had fun. It was a great time. Met a lot of great people while I was doing it, of course. And, and I just, as I was going through the motions, it just felt like it wasn't enough. But I started dabbling a little bit in directing and producing. And then producing just, I was like, oh, I love this. You know, you're there from the beginning to end of the whole process. The so creation what's the void then that you felt that pro that producing filled? I think just the whole creation of it. And what exactly, just for my own personal understanding, when you say producer or produced by or executive producer, you see those on the movie credits, like <laughs> what are those people actually doing? I'm curious. Well, it depends. So like on film, your executive producer, a lot of times is probably within the realm of the studio exec or ultimately the money person who's bringing in the money to actually have that uh, feature underway. Whereas it's, more so in television, executive producers are normally your showrunners, as they call them. Uh -huh. They won't be either created or run the show. So they're more of the director because they're the ones who are in charge of the whole creation of the project. Okay. Um, and then your producer or produced by. So producer is just basically just think of it as a bunch of managers. Right. But then the produced by is ultimately that producer. Sometimes you might have a couple who had who the produced by credit. And they're the ones who literally put everything together. They were the middle man or woman who worked with helping hire everyone for the director, all the, the budgeting with that, working with the studio, if it's a studio or indie. They're the ones who put everything together. So it's kind of more of like your senior management, like under a CEO per se, whereas like an executive producer is kind of like the CEO. Okay. So you liked the uh, creation part of it versus like being the one that's hired and doing it one like job. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's why I think producing for me filled the void because I love, um, that's why I learned that I liked writing, but a lot of times in the beginning it was like anything else, right? It's just um, a skill to develop. And for me, I was like, okay, I'm not quite ready yet to fully go diving into uh, screenwriting, but a lot of the producing, you work with a lot of creatives, and so you're helping with come up with the concept. If you're just putting the, the story together to create the screenplay, and then you go from there, because then after the script, then you're going to go and get ready for the pre-production, where you're the hiring the directors and everyone else, planning, looking for the locations. So it's all that fun with pre-production, and then of course you get to play when you're on production, and then post-production. That's a whole other animal, and it's it's really where the movie gets made in the end, ultimately. It's right. 
you know, like they say, you write a script, but it's rewritten several times. Right. And that last time is in the editing. So. Wow. How exciting. So you knew as uh, when you were younger that you wanted to do something like this. But I mean, I know that you were in the army. So you can talk a little bit about like why you joined the army, if that's what you wanted to do. And then I, I can't remember. I know you went to dive school in Seattle. Yeah. So you went to New York and did some acting, but you also went to dive school in Seattle and then you ultimately came back here. So talk a little bit about like the timeline and, you know, what decisions did you make and do you regret any of it? You know, it's so funny, you know, hearing you say it, now I see why people look at me like, okay, no, you didn't do all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're only 35. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when you hear it told back to you that way, it, it just, it's kind of crazy. But no, it's, so I grew up mainly in uh, wine country in Northern California. Um, I'm, we are originally from back east. My father still is in Maryland. Um, so, but the town that I grew up in, like the whole surrounding area, I mean, every film has been shot there. There were some things from Star Wars. There were some things from Goonies, um, Howard the Duck, you know, all these great things you watch as a kid. But seeing something filmed is what really just, it clicked. And that was when I saw Scream, actually. It's a... Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that or big on horror, but uh, Scream was being filmed in uh, our town. So Woodsboro is actually Hillsburg, California. I was able to go and watch when they were filming. So a lot of those extra bodies you might see in like the ultimate background, that's like where they had us like held off yeah. so we couldn't even be in the production. But when I saw that as a kid, I was like, I knew I wanted to do this. I love it. So I started watching so many more films and the, the player with Tim Robbins is what planted the seed about being a producer. But ultimately, I knew that uh, once I had joined the, the military, which I wanted to do, that I would have to wait because there's, you know, with contracts, you, you always have at least, if you do at least eight years, no matter what your job is or any like huge war, they can't call you back. And I knew that I wanted to do that because if I did that and I leave and go follow my dreams of passion, I wanted to make sure that I was able to do it and not have to like give it up again. What do you mean? Like? Oh, you mean to fulfill like your draft, if you got drafted type thing, once you did kind your of, years? Yeah. Is that the only reason why you joined the military? No, no. Um, no, I mean, that was my reasoning for why I did it as long. Oh, I see. Um, okay. But it was never anything bad, though, because I wanted to go in. I And this was pre-9-11. Uh, actually, I had been in a delayed entry program with the Marines. Really? Then, I didn't know that. Yeah. I was in the Marines. I know I have my best friend, especially, who was an honor grad from the Marine Corps, still gives me crap all the time. About, yeah, I'm going to give you crap, too, because, you know, I'm pro-Marine Corps, and then you went into the Army. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Because I'm always rooting for the Navy when it's Army versus Navy. Oh, we won't even talk about that, okay. except we won. What's so that? We won this last time. Of course, so. Yes. We'll see this season. Um, but yeah, no, I had did that with the delayed entry program because I graduated high school a year early. And so it became more of a delayed because I got to go travel to Europe after that. And I had to check in at least once a month with the Marine recruiter. <laughs> they wanted to keep making sure because it kept getting prolonged. Like, are you sure you're still doing this? I was like, yeah, 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 I'm doing this. And so... After the whole time, eventually, after I had a, a injury um, through soccer, 
I wasn't able to go in and then I waited a bit and then that's when I joined uh, the army in Maryland is where I went through and that's where the journey began with the army and I had fun. There was a lot of uh, different opportunities as I was going through. I was very fortunate. Yeah. So what was your, I mean, in the Marine Corps, you call it your MOS, your Marine Occupational Specialty, but what was your job or your, you know what I mean? What did they call it in the Army? Your tech Oh, yeah. It's uh, MOS. Yeah, your MOS. What was, because when I met you, you were working for, I forget what they call it now, the executive office or something. And so you um, handled a lot of the VIPs and things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. With the um, Army, my main MOS, which I did get to do sometimes, uh, was I was an 88 Mike. So it was motor transportation operator. Basically, we could drive anything with wheels. It was on the logistics side. And that's kind of how I fell into, because I was a driver, when I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, I drove for a colonel. And then that's just where it all changed and shifted. Yeah, because you, you've met some high-ranking politicians, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, I think that's, again, why I was so fortunate my time in the military, because I was always with the, the executive teams, you're right, you know, like colonels, generals, and you meet a lot of the, the senators. We've had royal dignitaries come through. So I was always working on the planning for their whole trips or the protection of the details as well. So even when we deployed to Afghanistan, it was the same thing as well. And I've, I've met so many people, so many senators, even from California, when I was in Afghanistan, um, it was the second time because she at that time was our senator in New York. And that's where I met Hillary Clinton, both in New York and in Afghanistan as well. And how many tours have you done? Um, full tours. It was just one long, very long tour. <laughs> A year in Afghanistan was great. Oh, but my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for your service. Um, yeah, we... That's crazy. So you got out and then you went to New York? Um, no. So that's where we got crazy. So I was waiting to get accepted into the conservatory, which wouldn't be until the fall. And again, from, you know, a product of watching so much television and movies, I had a fascination with um, diving. I didn't know what it was as a kid, of course. I just knew, oh, look, they're going deep, you know, a thousand leagues under the sea and, um, I wanted to kind of fulfill that. It was something that I've always wanted to do. I grew up around water. Uh, I grew up surfing at lakes. I, I love water. It's a very big part of my life, kind of why I'm so close to the water again mm -hmm. here in Southern California. Um, so I decided to go to the, the dive academy there in Seattle. And after I was done there, I still had plenty of time before um, I was still waiting to see if I was getting accepted to the conservatory. And instead of going to the Gulf, like a majority of the other divers do, I ended up doing inland diving. And it'll throw you off because you're like, okay, well, there's places you could go. But the company I worked for was headquartered out of Billings, Montana. Okay, you'll have to explain uh, inland diving. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so it throws it well because everyone thinks a commercial diver, they automatically, like the golf, it's always working on the oil rigs and so forth. There's so many other uh, ways or on the bridges there as well. Um, but inland diving, they, what you do is you work on, you can work on bridges or tunnels, uh, the water towers, reservoirs, and dams where you would dive in to check on those uh, facilities or 
plants and the, the towers as well. So that's why it was so funny that even though the company was headquartered in Montana, they, they had diving teams all over uh, the country. So depending on which rotation, you could be in New York or you could be in Texas. It just all depended. So you were either going to go in the Marine Corps or the Army. And if you wanted to experience diving, why didn't you try the Navy? I mean, did that even cross your mind or anything? No, not at that time. It didn't. But Army actually has divers also. Oh, they do? Yeah. There's a huge that. amount of, You know, it's, 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 it's funny, too, because there's actually – so the Navy has all the – they have battleships. They have a bunch of it. But Army actually has more boats than the Navy. Littler boats, right? To an extent, yeah. But it's if you're putting it up against like a battle cruiser, yeah, definitely. The army has a lot of those logistic boats as well, like LHAs and LHDs and stuff like that, or like little zodiacs, connexes, and everything. You know, they're just huge. So they have those massive ones where they're going back and forth as well. Okay, Hmm. you learn something new every day. So yeah, they have a, a dive team as well. Oh, okay. Clearly, you left diving because you got accepted into the conservatory. Then yeah. And you spent two years in New York? Yeah, I was uh, two years in New York. Um, and I was in the conservatory and did some theater and some small, uh, like, local commercials as well. Oh. So, and then what brought you back out to California? It was that, that love that I found uh, for producing. And I had some good mentors. Uh, again, I'm lucky to have a mentor. And that's why it always goes back to, I always push on how important mentors are. And it's like, even when you speak with other like CEOs and everything, they always talk about the mentor that they had. And um, for me, I was lucky that I had a great director. Uh, he had worked a lot with HBO. Another who was part of that program, who was a PGA uh, producer as well. So they saw that I loved it and they kind of just edged me. You know, you should go to Los Angeles and, you know, build up from there. And it gave me a lot of good pointers on what I need to do as the basis. And so I figured if I was going to do it, I need to change everything. And that's when I decided that, okay, so I'll do two birds and one stone. I'll go to film school at the same time for producing and learn filmmaking. And from there is how I can grow um, in starting my company uh, that I uh, have started in Beverly Hills and go from there. Wow, it, it, I think it's just kind of snowballed. Because last time I saw you was like three years ago. And it feels like a long time, like on a personal level, you know, we just haven't talked. But for a business to grow as quickly as yours has, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it, it grew really fast. I, I'm truly grateful for that. It, it was, you know, when you always start out, it's just like, you know, going into the abyss, right? It's the unknown. You know, you set out, you're just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it's kind of why I wanted to do it in Beverly Hills. because It's kind of like it forces you to stay hungry and keep pushing and pushing. And that's when I was always looking for, you know, great talents of like directors and writers to work with, which I've been very, very fortunate and blessed to have. And that's where we created so many content. And now in less than three years for three different films, uh, we've won four awards. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We just learned about the other two the other day. So it's uh, very excited right now. Wow. So uh, you make it sound so easy. 
And <laughs> we know oh, starting a business, I think most of us realize that, it, you know, it's not that easy. So, no. so if you're open to talking about it, uh, you know, any challenges that you faced, like you said, uh, you know, you're in freaking Beverly Hills, you're in Southern California, you're in Hollywood, there's a lot of competition. You got to stay hungry. I, I mean, and you make it sound easy and I can't imagine that it probably wasn't. So are you willing to talk about some of the challenges you faced and the competition and any roadblocks and how you got through it and all that? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I wish it was so easy. And it's, it's always so interesting when I hear so many other stories or when you go to watch a, a screening and there's a Q and a, and it's almost like the same questions over and over again. And it's always about how, things go and I love it because everyone has different ways on how they've gotten through it. For me, it was, of course, initially it's starting the company. It was kind of one of those, if you build it, they will come and having the company and being a producer, it opens up the door for so many creatives that want to work with you, bring their works and uh, collaborate. So that way we can do things. So that's where some of the first challenges were. It was learning how to, find the right content. So you're reading hundreds, I mean, hundreds of different scripts. Um, and at that time, of course, because you're just starting out, so you're, you're doing so many short films. So you're reading so many short film scripts that you're like, okay, so what do I need to do? How, and you're trying to decide budget wise, how are we going to get the, the funding for it? Is there funding? And as we were going through, we were just finding, and that's why, Starting out, a lot of things that I did was always on the thriller and horror side because you can do so much with very little. And that's kind of like how I built the platform. So a lot of that challenges then once you do decide on what you're going to, we always say like green light, yeah, as far as the script goes, then from there it's finding, okay, do you have a director already? If not, we got to find a director because then we need to see does he or she have that, that vision of what the story is? So they, they pitch, they create their own little pitch book of how they envision the story being. And, you know, always, if you, if you know, like even Stephen King, he's never been happy with any of the films made off of his books. Because it so, wasn't his vision or something. Yeah. It wasn't his vision or, you know, he's very particular. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, he's you know, not involved in any of the movies or what? No, uh, there were some that he did do and they weren't as great. Either. I mean, honestly, it's always hard to say, you know, a movie uh, is, you know, is it going to be as great as the, the book or whatnot? It, it just, well, it's, it's always very rare that a movie is better than the book. Yeah, I, I still trying to figure which one could possibly be one. I, I'd agree. Was amazing, <laughs> right. Like the book. Uh, I still don't. There's been some that have been close, but nowhere near. So, yeah, it was just a lot of complex of piecing the puzzle together because you want to find the right director who can really carry the vision out. And, and then ultimately it's location. So when I was doing things in New York, even like on the acting side, I was already without knowing the producer mentality. So working with people to find like locations in New York, it's kind of, they still kind of call it, it's, you know, the indie scene. So a lot of independent filmmakers have come out of New York. Um, whereas in LA, it's very difficult to find the place because they're so used to um, 
getting paid very well when it's a major production, a studio production, or maybe even someone who um, it doesn't even have to be film or television. It could be even advertising on their side for commercials. So locations can be really ludicrous. I and mean, even for a small little coffee shop, if you're lucky, the the average that I've been finding was like ten thousand, maybe a day. Holy um, crap! Like three thousand, and if you're a small short film, I mean that's probably like on an average five times the amount of what your budget is. <laughs> right, right, right. You really have to find ways, but it also helps you learn to to cheat a lot of things. Um, I think one of the funniest things that we ever did was uh, actually it was a music video that we had shot and. We had footage from the artist when he had performed um, in Oakland. After we had that footage, we compiled it where we cheated a shot where it was very, very dark in the garage. And I have to, I have to give it the director. He had a great vision, and that cheat was brilliant. And he was just shooting at certain angles where you had a group of people, but it felt like it was this huge crowd. So with the way he envisioned how it was going to edit and filming at the same time, so when it got to the edits final, it looked like you were literally at this huge venue. But really, it was inside this garage. Right. And then, you know, obviously, on a small budget, you can't afford CGI to add in all those people. So you have to yeah, really exactly. get creative, right? We've got a really good friend who's really hungry and has the time. Because that's just, yeah, CGI is, that's a whole other animal. Right. So would you say you're secret to success is networking because well networking and men having a mentor but networking because you need to know people so you can get the scripts to read and then kind of bid yourself to say hey i want to do this is that kind of yeah. like the simplest form of how it goes yeah i mean that's uh yeah it's definitely um the best way to actually put it um because <laughs> it's it's one of those where I remember when I was in uh, Beverly Hills, we were at an event. My friend at the time dragged me out because I was just so busy and tired. I didn't feel like going anywhere. They're like, no, you need to come to this event. So the event was hosted inside the, the Louis Vuitton there in Beverly Hills. And it just so happened randomly. Um, they had mentioned one of my projects. They were talking to someone and the person uh, they introduced me to was just like, oh, that's great. I've heard great things. And they wanted me to pitch it to them. And I went through and everything. And I thought, oh, great. So when are you going to actually come to us and pitch to us? And I was like, who's us? Right. <laughs> right. And sure enough, when he told me, he's like, well, actually, I'm with uh, Amazon. Holy crap. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, okay. Um, didn't realize this. And so he, he was – the one of the senior counsels at Amazon. So he has no like creative input or in development process, but sure. he worked there. And this was what, almost four years ago now. So um, they were still really just starting right on their trajectory, really about to right before the bubble. Right. And they blew up and became this big monster that they are today. Um, so at that time we had a comedy that we were going to uh, go through and and this will really go into when you were talking about the challenges you face. So we ended up pitching uh, to them this comedy series that we had, and they absolutely loved it. But then the question came down to, 
do we have a director and a showrunner? So the stipulation was that the director had to have at least had a feature and uh, a showrunner or at least someone who has produced a television series. We had neither of those, <laughs> right? They loved it so much, but because that was just one of those where the nature of the beast is they want to be able to entrust someone to carry it out, right? They're going to slap Amazon original, but they need to make sure that it's going to be done. And it's really hard to take the risk and just say, oh, yeah, we'll give you this opportunity. And if it fails, then that's just that's a disaster, right? Sure. And budgets. And they don't want to do that, especially because they were just starting out. Um, so that's where it came down to where we weren't able to keep moving forward. But it was... It was a high at first because it was like, oh, yes, we're, we're, we're going to pitch to Amazon. And then you just felt like you crashed because it's like, so. So, know, I mean, when you say, you know, you need a director and a showrunner, like basically that comes down to who you know, right? Exactly. I, I mean, so. is there, is there, uh, I know there's websites out there for actors, you know, you put your headshot on and, you know, people can go and search for you. Is there a way like is there a type of thing for a production company where a director or showrunner might want to be like oh hey i saw you here i want to be involved in this project type thing um there is to an extent like variety there's a variety section where it has a database with that um that's it's i know there's the variety magazine but they also have this uh, database it's right and you pay a certain amount so it's similar to like if you have imdb um, right. If you have the pro, you have access to the numbers to some, but a lot of times it's just going to be to the front office, right? It's not like their direct line or right. anything like that. Right. But then it presents a new challenge, <laughs> even if you do contact, because then it comes down to, well, is the writer represented by an agent or a manager? Because if it's going to be someone that like, Amazon's going to want, they need to fulfill that legal uh, possibility of not having any issues. So that's why if at least if you have a manager or an agent, they'll give you the time because then they don't have to worry about so much with the errors and omissions of, are they going to take someone's content that maybe someone else owns? And they don't know that yet. Even though they do do their due diligence, Disney's very much known for that. No matter what, they always have a bunch of legal teams to look at making sure that they don't uh, have any issues and they clear everything. So then that's where the new challenge is, right? So it's one of those where, you know, literally telling me that you need a director, you need um, a, a producer slash showrunner who's had the television series. But then now I'm like, okay, well, I need to find a team or because I'm not represented or anyone else on the team is. So because we're at that, you know, beginning stages and level. So now we cannot just go and walk up or set up a meeting because they wouldn't talk to you without that. So it, it makes it very difficult. So it's kind of like, it's great. We had that opening with Amazon. So then the next step is like, again, going through networking and finding those directors. Because when you meet them, a lot of times it's, you could be the most talented person, but if you don't get along, you know, because you're going to be on set or you're going to be on post-production with them for hours and hours and hours. And you want to make sure it's someone that you're going to be working with that you're not going to hate each other and not be productive at all. Right. So, I mean, would have would have Amazon, would they have said, okay, you have 30 days or 60 days to find someone? Uh, or was it like, sorry, you don't have it now. We're not moving forward. 
Yeah, it was, uh, we're not going to move forward because it didn't have it at that time. Um, and I still keep in contact with the, course, the, the yeah. comedy developer. We, we do go back and forth. I just kind of straight away, because again, for budget reasons, we were always doing a lot more horror thrillers. Um, so I wasn't able to go back to that, but we do still keep in contact. And I have uh, a few things that I'm actually going to be throwing his way. And I might have um, waiting on one last uh, confirmation and might actually have a team so we can be able to start doing that. And that's what a lot of this year has been anyways, is now finalizing the team so that way everything is getting pitched to the right people who need to see see what we have for it. Well, great. And what? Um, let's talk about rejection. Is there a lot of rejection in Hollywood? And how do you manage that? There is a lot. It's always a lot because especially like being as a producer, you're bombarded with so many people. Um, I mean, my, my, my LinkedIn, it's, it's, it's just crazy how many messages I have from so many people. And again, it's kind of like one of those where uh, it's hard because you don't want to look at it and then love it and then probably can't do it because you don't know, again, just how the studios are. Same with you is do a script and then possibly get sued afterwards because it wasn't theirs or it, it was already in the works or, you know, there's so many things if they didn't copyright it or um, get it registered with the WGA. So you get bombarded with so many, but at the same time, you get a lot of rejections from trying to pitch a lot of the, the packages of films that you have if it's made or if it's not made. It all depends. It's constantly going out there and going to different studios, different um, small boutique companies and seeing if they're interested. And it's just, it, it's hard because there's so many other companies that you're competing with and trying to get yourself uh, seen and wanting them to see your work. Cause you know, you have something good. And even if you might be, you know, somewhat biased considering that it's your work, but if you look at what's out there and you're doing your job as a producer, you know that this is good stuff, but it's just hard getting over that hump, that threshold of, you know, to where we get the yes, hey, we believe in it, which with this last short film, we were able to get a um, investor who, who really loved what we had and was able to give us money to help get this all together, which was really great. I know you, so I know you have a lot of integrity. I would imagine that being in your position and being in LA, there'd be ample opportunities to not have high standards. Like, how do you maintain your integrity? And, you know, sometimes when we stay in our integrity, we lose business, right? Because we don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, take shortcuts or whatnot. Have you experienced any of that? Like, oh, yeah. Especially, um, on the on the indie side where you're just you constantly you have to always be careful who you're working with and making sure just like even for other producers um that was always the hard part because it's so easy to want to shoot as they call it, like guerrilla style which is you know you have no permits you don't have any of the paperwork to be at this location uh it's they may not have had it insured but they're just shooting it right they're trying to cheat it get it done real quick which a lot of that used to be so much easier back in the day like in the 90s i met a producer who's made like over 200 films and the way he used to do it is just crazy if you look at it now you would be like there's no way it's impossible i, I know he even gave up uh, a moment where they were shooting die hard and they were using the 
the airport. Yeah, when we used to be able to use airports. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but they would pretend that they were on the diehard set and they would go and like, oh, we're the second unit. And then they would go and pretend they were part of the production and be able to use the airport to shoot their scene. You know, oh you couldn't goodness. get away with that. Right? Yeah, you, yeah, you um, can't get away with that now. But there's so many that try to do that or they try to do certain things. So especially if you're using expensive equipment, you know, there's been moments where you had, uh, I had one producer that wanted to shoot at a location that we had no right to be there. And it was not safe. There was a lot of issues with um, the, the building because it fit the, the, the scene, the story that we needed. Yes, it did, but it wasn't safe. I, I couldn't trust the crew to be there. I couldn't trust for our talent to be there as well to, you know, shoot, especially because it's at nighttime. Because, again, that's the other challenge. Uh, if you're shooting, uh, especially a horror, you shoot at night because you don't have a studio set to where you can be there and make it look like night and have it a controlled environment and not worry. Um, so that's where the other challenge is as well. And so the location was just dangerous. But I hadn't been to it yet, and he wanted to do it. And we were doing one last scout of it. And I looked at it, and I was like, are you serious? Like, no, but we can do this. There's no problems. We want to make sure that no one is going to shoot here. And I was like, are you crazy? So that's when I ended up having to uh, fire that producer because I was like, are you crazy? That's, we can't do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's hard because you want to take shortcuts. You want to do certain things. But at the end of the day, you have to hold to that standard of not taking those shortcuts. You want to make sure you do things right because in the end you don't want to come back because you might have the, the greatest film, but then if you didn't do your due diligence, then you don't you have a You might pay for film. it later, right? Yeah. And it might be you, all for you, nothing. You get for it or you can never use it. Oh, That's the other thing, all the legal yeah. things, right? So in clearances and even if you want to submit to festivals because they want to make sure, well, did you have everything in order? Do you have insurance? Did you have your film permit that you needed to have at that location. There's all these things. Otherwise, it's a no-go. Sure. How do you stay motivated? What inspires you? And how do you stay positive through all the rejection and challenges that you face? Because I would imagine that it, it could get pretty hard to take sometimes. Yeah, it, it definitely um, it hits you, you know, because you, you're constantly just wondering when am I going to have the opportunity, how long, and especially when you're on a lot of those productions, you know, it's, you have to live up to that title. When you say you're a producer, you got to be able to put things together and not, um, not follow through. And so for me, I just, for one, it's kind of one of those that I remember learning, uh, growing up, it's, you definitely need to surround yourself with like-minded people. And I've been fortunate that a lot of the talent and people that I've worked with, they've given up so much to be where they are. They have literally, I, I know a few that just, they had no money, but it didn't stop them. And they moved from Michigan all the way here to California because this is what they wanted to do to where their first place that they lived in LA was one of those, it's kind of like a hostile roommate situation where there's like eight people in a room, you know? So it's knowing who you surround yourself with because you all know what your, your end 
the end game is, you know, what your goal is that you're trying to achieve and that you're, you know, you're going to achieve. And I've been working with them now for five years and we always see each other. We always send texts and just to keep each other positive. How's this going? What, is there anything I can do? Hey, I have this project. Uh, there's always these different things or just, it sounds so simple, but one of the beautiful things that I love about our industry is you have the luxury that your homework is you get to read, you get to watch a whole bunch of television, you get to watch a whole bunch of films because it's your homework because sometimes it may be a benefit to learn. There might be a shot you didn't think of before and you're just like, actually that fits very well. That shows, you know, and that's why you see in so many different films where you might see where the camera does something or um, you see how the talent is working and you may find yourself working with that person and seeing their work. Cause then it comes down to that anyways, because almost nine times out of 10, when you're pitching and talking to executive at studios, they always reference other movies. It's yes. always uh-huh. that's your industry, right? Right. Yep. If you're in business, you're on wall street, you're going to be referencing. It's just, that's how it is. Right. And so being able to watch that, also is a benefit because you don't know if you're talking to a person, if you hadn't seen not even one of their films or one of their shows. They won't even talk to you. about it. Yeah, they're just like, wait, I'm telling you about this right now. You've never even seen it. You didn't even at least watch an episode or before you came to see me because it's it's going to be one of those. And right. it's, it's funny because even at film school, we had an executive from Sony come and that's how we learned uh, a lot. He would teach us how that process was. It was that, you know, that challenge, like, how do you pitch? And how uh, ruthless they could be in some cases, you know, not everywhere, but it, it depends, just like with anything else. Right. I've read and I've listened to plenty of interviews with, you know, actors and things like that. And and even, you know, I love Anderson Cooper and he, <laughs> he has this, I read this article a couple of years ago and I quote his thing all the time, like the path to success is always meandering but not until you get to where you are, you look back and it all made sense type thing. But I remember reading, I don't know if it was in his book or in an article that he just didn't have a plan B. Like there was no plan B, like it was this or nothing. And so I imagine for yourself or in, you know, for the people you work with, it's, it's always that there's just no plan B. I will live in a hostel and I will live in my car and eat, you know, macaroni and cheese every day until this works because this is what I'm doing. Is that kind of the sentiment of that? Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I knew that, um, you know, coming in to this, um, because that's always like the question. Everyone goes, wait, you've been in the army for 10 years. Oh, well, why didn't you just do 10 more and then you could retire and then be done with it. And I just knew that I didn't want to wait that long because I already knew what I wanted to do, but you know, I, I gave it up and you remember where I was working and how, and, you know, the, the offers, some of them were, were enticing at some points because it's, it's that, that human nature, right? We want that safety, that feeling of that being able to fall back on something. And a lot of the jobs were really, really good. To, lucrative. Yeah, yes. were lucrative uh, or even put me in a position to, even when I leave the military, to be um, a civilian, to be in a lucrative uh, market with working with the, the government, right, on different contracts. I mean, it was, I was even offered by when we were at Fort Irwin, one of the 
people I ended up working with and driving around was the, the Sergeant Major from the White House. And we really got along very well that he even wanted me to go work at the White House uh, and drive, uh, which I was like, well, doesn't Secret Service do that? He's like, well, there's a fun fact about that. It's actually Army drivers. Um, really? Huh. And it was really, really cool because then I was like, oh, wow. Well, then I could kind of be in a good position, right? Because then that's a whole other clearance. That's There's all these different factors, and you knew that you were going to be good after that because once you work at the White House then you're great any right. any other job even once you become a civilian you're good right so it was just one of those that oh it was so enticing but you knew that if it's something you want to do you give up everything and I didn't care if I was going to lose all the money and just you know live how I was going to live I just knew that this is what I wanted to do and that's what I continue to do so but aside from stability you know security and a paycheck what else did you sacrifice or compromise on? I would say a lot of that I probably sacrificed was, I guess, kind of like time for myself, in, in essence. It's, it's always the hard thing because you are working so hard to strive for your, your, your dreams and you kind of neglect yourself a lot as well uh, in the pursuit of that. And... You don't really go do a lot of things because, again, you're not able to go here or there. So you, you sacrifice a lot of what you would normally do or you've been accustomed to. I know it's, it's always funny because everyone thinks, so, oh, you're in the Army. So, of course, yeah, you traveled so much. But before the Army, I had already traveled the world. I've been to so many places and seen so much. So it was one of those where I knew that I'm not going to be traveling for a while. Right. Right. Which to me is another form of like my, my meditation. And, you know, it's so amazing because you get to experience cultures, new food, new um, just scenery and, and, and views, which ultimately, of course, helps you too within this uh, career because you're looking at like how you're producing content and where you would love to shoot it or things like that. But it's just that experience of life. And I have been doing that since I was a kid going everywhere that it just it it sucked (laughs) (laughs) not traveling yeah Yeah. not traveling and that was really one of the biggest sacrifices for me because you know and it's not even about like oh you're gonna stay in some five-star five-diamond hotel no you know it's not even it's just getting there and experiencing it sure so uh, you know we all everybody talks about the grind and how like you're not successful you know one of those society standards is you have to you know put in 80 hours you got to work hard and you know and if you're not if you take a rest day you're weak or you know lazy or whatever but we've learned well I know I've learned I'm sure you have too that self-care is important too and rest days and you know taking care of yourself is just as important as the grind right I'm not saying that starting a business you can be you know only work 10 hours or whatever. I'm not saying that. Obviously, you're going to put in the time and the effort and the energy. But, you know, when did you learn that self-care, you know, and taking time for yourself is just as important as you working hard? Was that, you know, something you picked up a few years ago? Was it recent? I think it's, for me, I reconnected to it when I had really was 
involved with so much that was going on with uh, the content, trying to produce and getting things together. Because uh, before I was always good at that. Uh, I would always go, even if it was just a nice hike, right? Or, you know, go to the beach. There was a time where I wasn't even going to the beach and I lived so close to it that because you're just so busy, you're not even thinking about that anymore because it's just constantly hours and hours and hours of it. And I just realized at one point that I'm, I'm sick right now. I'm not even feeling good. I'm not doing well. Um, I'm, I'm aggravating my, my injuries that I've had, you know, from when I was in the military. And I was just neglecting it. I wasn't, I already had trouble sleeping, but I was compounding that now. I, even for a lot of times, I wasn't even getting up early and, and meditating or even uh, going for a run. And it was, you know, it just wasn't healthy. And I realized that when I just, Pretty much, I wouldn't say like had a, a break or anything, but it was just, I was getting sick. And like physically you know, ill, right? Yeah, like physically ill, but then also I was getting really, really sick. And even growing up, I could count like on one hand how many times I was sick as a child. And I just realized I'm just stressed. I wasn't taking time for myself. And I'm the one telling, making sure my director is like eating on the second. Sometimes they're so involved and they're not eating. I'm doing like, so it's kind of like how I was like as a sergeant in the army, you know, you're, you're taking you're, care you're, of everybody you're, else, but yourself, yeah, right? But yeah. Not yourself. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? The belief that or what society says that you should do? That's my big, I hate the quote unquote should, what you should do because everybody's path is different and everybody's just their timing's different. How do you feel? Do you think there's like a three, five, ten year plan for people? Do you think the, you know, okay, I want to be married by the time I'm 25 and the white picket fence and, you know, before I'm 40, I need to be making X. Like, what are your thoughts on all of that? I feel that every individual knows themselves when they're ready to do it. And it doesn't matter when it is. They just need to know in their heart what they want to do, and they just need to pursue it. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's always plenty of time. And, yeah, the, the societal norm of, you know, you, you have to do exactly everything you describe, you know, or, like, even as a kid, right, we're always taught, like, well, you should do something safe, like be a doctor or be a lawyer. Right. Um, there's all those, those things, but no one's ever saying, well, why don't you pick up an instrument or why don't you go be an actor or be a writer or – just travel and maybe go work with missionaries and, and you can travel that way as well, but you right. get to help others at the same time. You know, there's so many different ways. It's, it's interesting because I, you always learn something about people that you look up to, especially within an industry that you're in as well. Um, for me, I just always look at, there's so many different industries of people who I learn from and how you can learn things. But as far as like the age factor, if we look at, uh, Stan Lee, right, the creator of you know all the greatest things in Marvel that have that has just hit our hearts and different things. Especially if you're a nerd or geek like myself, <laughs> yes. I definitely love it. You know, but I don't think a lot of people realize that he actually didn't start that. So he was about 39 years old. Yeah, I think you just posted that the other day, didn't you, on Instagram? Yeah, I think I might have shared that. It might have been on like the Instagram, uh, like the story, probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, I was just like, you know, I need to share this because I have so many that are just they're talking about it, but they don't do it because they're so caught up in, I need to be safe. I need to do things, and it's, it's one of those where it doesn't matter. And there's so many, so many others. 
Um, but again, because society, we don't really like to talk about age, which is so weird. So you don't get to hear it as much, which is so crazy because if everyone knew when someone and how old they were, yeah, of course, you're going to have the luxury of some that, uh, you know, like even Steve Jobs, he's like, well, we were young. We were able to do whatever, right? They were able to lose because they had nothing to lose in a sense. But I feel that that works even when you are older because you only have a lot to lose if you feel that you have a lot to lose. Because in the end, what do you really want? And you can really just know that if it's in your heart that you want to do it, then go and do it because you can't. Everyone has told you you can't. It's probably because also because that's what they were told as well. It's just that simple. Or some just truly believe that they're just happy. I mean, there's some. And that's the other thing. If you're happy, then there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to be the doctor or, you know, work in a cubicle, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you love. And there are people who do love that. But there's some that who don't. And if you feel that that, that itch to, to do it, then by all means, just do it. Yeah, I, I definitely always say, like, never wonder what if. Yeah. Live with no regrets because – at least if you tried it and you it failed, whatever it is that you want to do, at least you know that you you knew what it was like instead of just wondering the rest of your life. Oh, I wonder what my life would look like if I had tried this or if I had done that. I think that yeah. is like the worst feeling to be on your deathbed and being like, wow, I wonder if I had made a different decision. Where would I be type thing? Yeah, it, it's always one of those because even, you know, I've I've always been – it's funny, for me at least, I've been lucky in that I've never really been a fan of regret. I've never really thought about it in that sense, as far as, you know, if I do this, I might regret it. I just, I've always been one to just, whatever. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, and move forward. Um, because if that was the case, then before the military, I was supposed to be uh, a lawyer. Um, you know, that was what I was doing. I was even doing. Um, because I was in, in, like in the honors program, we were able to do mock trials. You know, we were we were doing so much in actual courtrooms. So I was being groomed and learned to to do that. But also, my heart was also because I love the water. I was studying a lot of marine biology because science was really one of my biggest passions, and marine biology was ultimately my favorite. Um, uh, right next to, uh, of course, you know, being an astronaut as every kid wants to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> or growing up like you're going to be an astronaut which commercial diving fulfilled that need i didn't get to go to space but you train and feel just like an astronaut does and astronauts train the same way we do you know and then when you join the military then you're like well is this the right decision you know what you want to do but you're giving up so much um should i regret it even while you're in the military there's all the opportunities that can steer you in different directions i had so many uh, different, again, mentors or officers I had worked with, and they wanted me to go to West Point. I was actually in the process of almost going into West Point. That even my father was getting letters together, and we had uh, a couple of the congressmen in Maryland to do it, and then I finally decided I don't want to do it. That's not what I wanted to do. Because I knew then that would make me a career soldier. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, because then again, it could change. But I didn't want to do that because also I just – I was already in the mix. If I wanted to be an officer, I would have just done that by going to university and then going as an officer and so forth. But I didn't do that. And the same thing with just everything in the military, uh, of the other opportunities. But then when you get out, you're just like, okay, did I regret getting out? No. Because you have to look at 
no matter what, and I, I think people have this also because what we're taught growing up, we're afraid to fail because we're taught that failure is wrong. And I played a lot of sports growing up on teams and for some reason our coaches never put it in that format. It wasn't, well, failure is bad. It was always, yes, of course we want the W, we always do, but it was always, okay, so if we had lost the game, where can we learn our mistakes? Where was that mistake that we made? What could you have done better? Or did you do the assignment the night before to know, like if it's football, did you know your routes? Did you memorize them? And that's why when the ball went to no one, because you weren't at your spot. You know, <laughs> right. things. It, and it's the same thing, even no matter what you're doing in life, it's you have to know what you're going to do and have that structure to know that, hey, it's okay. Failure is only a lesson. Failure is not a bad word because that's how we learn. It's a learning experience. How many businesses have failed so many times and just restart, restart? It's, it's the only way that you can grow is by learning. You didn't just walk, right, as a baby. Right, right, right. <laughs> you walk so many times. So why do we look at it like it's a bad thing? Right, right. No, I agree with you. Do you um, take any failure or rejection? Do you take it personally? Have you ever felt like I'm not enough or I'm a loser? Have you ever felt anything like that? <laughs> No, I mean, I think there's a small part that just like, what did I do? Did I do it right? And I think it's also because I've always been hard on myself and perfecting what needs to be done. But no, I don't think uh, you get the rejection and you're just like, okay, what do I do? What, what, what could I have done better? And you figure it out and just keep pushing forward. And because you love what you're doing now, it's kind of softens the blow a little bit. Oh, say? yeah. It definitely does to an extent because you're always going to feel it. There's always that moment that it's human nature. You're going to feel it. Like when you first get the rejection, you could have had a thousand rejections and it would feel like it's the first one. It right, just, right, right. Yeah. Does it, it never gets easier, right? Yeah, it doesn't get easier. It's how you turn around afterwards because if you're doing the same thing a thousand times after, you have learned nothing. You will continue to do the same thing. And sometimes you just have to step out of your, your own shell and figure out maybe it's just something as simple as, well, what did you like about it? Like if it's a story you're pitching, well, what did you like about it? What, what really was the point where you were just like, I, I don't see us doing this or moving forward? That's where you just have to kind of, you know, find those questions that you, you can. Whereas some, they just don't do that because the rejection just eats you up so much that it overcomes you and then you don't step out of that. And it's crazy that at one of the events, uh, I'm part of the organization of uh, Veterans in Media and Entertainment, and I was at an event a few weeks back and I got to meet Michael Uslan. And he's the executive producer and owner to the rights of Batman. Holy crap. <laughs> so, especially as a geek and nerd, it's like, yeah. this guy is definitely Holy crap, right Batman. Right? <laughs> yes. And I have deemed him the Batman. He literally <laughs> is the Batman because he bought the rights in his mid-20s. Might have been a little bit earlier than that, actually. I think it was about 22, 23. And this was after the Batman TV show, right? 
because it was, as he put it, it was dead as a dodo bird. That's how bad it was. It just, no one cared about it. And he had his idea that he wanted to do a dark Batman and everyone laughed at him. And eventually, if you just, to, you know, make the story, you know, very short, eventually he had a studio that had money. He ended up in LA and got rejections from every single studio, even with someone behind him, even with buying the rights from DC, uh, where he was working at, at the DC Comics in New York. Even when the last producer said, well, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll let you do the movie, but if you do it like the Batman from the television show. And he told him, well, then no. But he said to him, isn't it better to make a movie than not make a movie? And he told him, and I guess it's better to not make a movie. And that right there is definitely truly inspiring because he had given up everything for one. He came he out He stayed here. in his integrity, right? Yeah, again, it's the integrity of it. And it wasn't until almost 10 years later before it was even looked at again. And that's where he had meeting with Tim Burton, which now, thanks to that whole thing, we have Batman after Batman now. Yeah, He's like, Batman. yeah. Can you imagine a world without Batman? No. And, you know, and it's, out of all the superheroes, I love Batman because you know why? He's us. If you look at every single one, his superpower is being human. And that's why, to me, it just, it really stuck with me even more, just hearing him, but also just hearing, like, his whole journey as well. And that's how a lot of things work. You know, there's a lot of things that he did that would be ludicrous, especially in those days because there was no cell phones, what he was able to do to get attention to certain things. But it was that feeling of, I know what my vision is, I know how I feel, and I'm not gonna just give it up after I worked so hard for months to get the rights to this, which today we would look at like, how do you get the rights to Batman? Right. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's one of those moments where you have to realize that, I mean, that itself is a failure to a lot of people. Cause they would say, well, you had an opportunity. You had a studio exec who was going to green light it. It wouldn't have been the perfect one, but maybe you could have done something different later on. True. That's it. I mean, but it wouldn't have been what he wanted to. He didn't work that hard to get it. To right, just give his it name up. would have been oh. on that. And exactly. if he's not proud of it, it'd be something he'd be ashamed of probably for the rest of his life. And it's like, that is the pit in your stomach. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So you'd have to live with that for the rest of your life. So I think if you have a vision for something and somebody wants to tweak it so much that it's not even what you think it should be, I wouldn't do it either. Yeah. I think, and that's the, the difference too. Uh, I think that everyone, when they want to fall back to the safety net of, should I just stay at where I'm working at or things like that is because it is that safe. Whereas when you go and pursue your passion and dreams, you don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to fail and, you know, it's kind of like uh, one of my other posts that I did on Instagram, too, which is my favorite because, of course, it goes back to the ocean and sailing and everything else. But, you know, that uh, from Franklin Roosevelt was a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Yep. And for me, it's just it's so true because that's what makes you successful because you're going to have to go through the, the grind. You're going to have to go through those challenges, but you're going to have to go through those failures. It's how you come out on the other side of those that's going to make the difference in going through because that's how it makes it so much more sweet when you're on the other side because you're just going to have to go through that. It, you, you're going to go through the learning process. No one has ever, like even when you go through every story of every person, it wasn't like, oh, here you go, done, easy. 
it's not always like that. Even you could argue some who have been able to have it because of maybe family, right? They were able to have the money and things like that. Yeah, but you can just as easily fail that as well. Right. And many. Well, what's that meme out there with the iceberg? Like everybody thinks that this so-and-so was an overnight success, but you don't see all the work they did to get to, and all the rejection to get to where they are at, right? Yeah. You know, and to kind of backtrack on what you said earlier about people not learning and kind of sticking with what they do all the time. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's almost like, okay, if it's not working, you know, what's wrong with trying something else? Just because you don't believe it'll work or it doesn't fit in your mind and it's getting out of your comfort zone. But everything we're talking about is based on fear, right? The fear of the unknown, fearing of stability, fearing, you know, everything. I tell my friends all the time, like, you know, you won't be homeless, <laughs> you know, your parents, you know, how you can live with your parents or, you know, you have resources and some people don't have those resources, but really, you know, even at my worst financial situation, both of my parents have passed on, but I always said to myself, my parents would never let me be homeless. And of course I wouldn't be, I, you know, I have family I can stay with, you know, I can live in my car for crying out loud, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're not going to be homeless. So stop stressing so much and, and, and trust. I think it's, you know, for the universe supports taking action. And, and then you have to, at some point you have to trust and say, okay, I've done my part. Now the universe needs to come through. I, I mean, that's just my belief and my thoughts. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm very big. Uh, and it's so true when it comes to the, the universe because, you know, what you put out is what you get back. And the universe is already going to do that because it's just part of the process. It's already going to throw you, you know, those curveballs or the, the bumps, the challenges. But you don't need to throw more into the mix as well. And, and that's the hardest part because you have to believe in yourself, for one, and you have to keep working on that every day. And I think that's the hard part is knowing that because – Sometimes you can sit there and just think, well, am I making the right decision? Should I continue doing this? I, this didn't work out and you're done with it. And then when you're doing that, you're just putting it out there. And the universe is like, oh, okay, well, I guess we have to give you some more so you can work a little bit harder and hopefully you can get around that one now. But it's, it's, it's so true. Sometimes and you just have to get out of your own way, right? Yeah, you, you do. You, you really do. It's... And it was a journey getting back to that, too, even for myself, because you kind of lose touch with it if you lose touch with how to, again, you know, self-care. And when you start letting go, and I started doing that, you know, a lot. And when I was letting go of things and just putting out to the universe what I wanted to achieve and letting go of it, then it just, it was coming. And everything is coming. And that's why, I mean... It was something as simple as I remember it was a one of our other sh- the short films that we had done. Literally, I was just like I I was you submitted through this platform and I was just going on there every day and I'm like I don't hear anything yet. There's no selection. It's already past the time yet. Like I'm waiting. We're gonna get in. We're gonna get in. And then all of a sudden, going back to rejections, right? And it was just like not selected. Another one, not selected. You know, not selected. And you you put so much money because you have to put money to submit to festivals so that's another part that you have to save for and then finally i was like you know what i just i don't even care right now i need to let go of this it if it's going to happen it will happen but 
you got to keep working anyways. And as soon as I did that, it wasn't even literally until the next day, I got a call from a friend about a project to produce. And then I got a call from a festival that we were selected and they just wanted to kind of ask me some questions about the project and how we put it together. Uh-huh. It's like, really? <laughs> it was just, you know, and it's not like it's, oh, wow, that could just happen so quickly. It just worked out that way. Cause I, really just said all right it's done it's out the universe whatever when it happens if it's meant it to be if it, it, it'll be right believe in it, but you have to let go because that's the other thing you can't really over uh what would be the great way of putting it you can't uh over saturate your thoughts of pushing right it's like if you say in five years i'm going to be a you know a producer who's in the pga and if every day Throughout that time, you're like pushing. I gotta be a PGA producer. I gotta, I gotta, you know, these things, right? Because that's like your goal. How are you going to achieve that? Because you're just driving yourself nuts. You know, you have to let go of it because the way to get there is doing what you need to do to get to it. And you know, whether it's the the, the grind or just, you know, if it's truly your dream and passion, it's not work. So then it just becomes just this fun journey with some, you know, adventures in between. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I will, I asked this to all my guests at the end. It sounds like you don't have any regrets, but uh, do you have any regrets? And what would your definition of having no regrets be if you were to define it yourself? If I was to, what was that last part? I'm sorry, sorry. If you were to define what does it mean to live with no regrets? How would you define that? I would define it as... Living with no regrets would be, hmm, that's a, that's a hard one. I would just say being happy with what you're pursuing because you could not possibly have any regret if you are doing what you absolutely love. And even when I was talking about like even what I went through with some of my other friends who I know was even in worse, like really bad situation, but they were always so positive they were always so happy because they're like hey i came here to be a writer i'm going to be a writer and sure enough he's a writer and he's done so much and been so many things and uh doing very well but you know it's just it's being happy but you have to be happy with yourself in doing that oh absolutely and so do you have any regrets it sounds like from our conversation you don't but i'm gonna ask it (laughs) anyways honestly no um because easily and i've been asked before that well i mean 10 years in the military that's a long time could you just not have gone at all and honestly for me i feel like that was 10 years of some of the best experiences adventures and knowledge that I use so much with how I do things and content and looking for things. That's how, for me, I know that it was not a regret doing that because when I see things and I read them and if it really hits you, like if it's something that is war related, you're like, this was amazing writing, you know? And I I literally just read one from, uh, a, a good friend, he was our lead and uh, 
a writer on this film that we just did together. And he has no experience in the military, never had done it. But the way he wrote The Soldier, right? And this is, they're back at home, both of them. And they are a, they're a gay couple. And they're going through the trials and just so much hatred from one side of the family because of what they are. And at the same time, they're going through what they went through because of they had multiple deployments. And just the way he wrote it, it just resonated so much. I just couldn't believe how much you could really see yourself in the characters and understand the pain and knowing that that's what a lot go through when they come home, right? Even if it's, you know, because one got out earlier, right, at one of the partners. So it's also for the ones at home, what they went through. Sure. Right? The spouse, they have to go through that. The, the, the children, it's, it's all the same thing. So it's just so amazing how he was able to capture that without the experience. And I would not have been able to know. I would be like, this is an amazing story. But I couldn't go, oh, well, you know, I think that's exactly a great portrayal of a, a soldier. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't have known. Right. Um, I wouldn't have known those experiences. Sure. So how could I, as myself, as a producer, go, well, yeah, that's that's a good story. That's a great one. Without, Without that experience, that. right? Yeah. So one last question before we wrap up, and this one's just specifically for you. Oh. Are you ready for this one? All right. Hit me with your best <laughs> shot. <laughs> Who was your favorite Batman? Oh, Michael Keaton. Oh, yes. <laughs> He's mine too. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> and we'll definitely talk about that. I got more information on that and how he became Batman. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have Michael to do that for another an, another episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we can make a whole other <laughs> Oh, yeah. He was my favorite really Batman did. too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love all the other Batmans and the upcoming ones as well. Really excited about the Joker, but I just love Michael Keaton's version. I like how he played Bruce Wayne, in essence. I mean, he was just an amazing Bruce Wayne. I know this one was controversial or whatever. Uh, ben Affleck, how do you feel about that one? <laughs> or would you rather not say no comment? <laughs> um, no, honestly, I didn't. I, I wasn't upset about it. I actually, because I knew he was a very diehard fan as well, but... I, I knew that the way they designed that Batman, it was designed to be specifically that way. It was to fit the story that they had done, and he did very well doing that. May not have fit what some fans may have liked or what non-fans who were watching it were expecting, but it's kind of just one of those where you just had to understand what the story was, right? Every single one was different. You know, Michael Keaton's Batman was all about Bruce Wayne. Christopher Nolan's Batman was all about Gotham City, right? Because we have to believe for them, why is he going to put on this, this suit, right? Why does he become Batman? We have right. to believe, right? So with Michael Keaton, he was just, we saw, he was so broken from what happened to him as a child. Gotham City in Christopher Nolan's version was, you know, the city is so crazy. And of course it was post 9-11. So how do you tell a story of Batman that fits our world now? Sure. So every single one was different. And it was the same thing for Ben Affleck. And I actually am excited for Robert Patterson. I have seen oh, him in that, other did films. Did that become official? Ugh. Yeah. Besides Twilight, he has done other films. No, and he's, he's a, a 
superb actor. I think he's very talented, but I just, I don't see him as a Batman. But I didn't see Ben Affleck as a Batman either, so. Well, no one wanted Michael Keaton because they were like, Beetlejuice, really? And oh. then no one wanted... You know, Beetlejuice you is amazing. Who's who? Right. Who doesn't love Beetlejuice? Come on! But everyone's like, but as Batman, right? But it, it's always so, so crazy. That everyone's not upset with, especially when it comes to Batman's, right? Because the Joker, everyone was upset with Heath Ledger being the Joker because they were just like, oh, there's no way you've got Brokeback being the Joker. Nah, we're done. And then now everyone's arguing, well, no one can be another Joker. I was like, well, well let's not forget about Jack Nicholson, okay? He was a great Joker too. <laughs> yes. They were very different, right? Every single one has been different. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know what? Let's see what he's got. And I believe Robert is going to surprise a lot of people. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but I was always Team Edward anyway, so I guess that's okay. Uh, so you're to Team Jacob. <laughs> Well, Jacob, I want to thank you for your time. And you can follow Jacob at Jacob Zitino on Instagram. And his company is at Dapper Penguin, correct? At On Instagram. Is that correct? Yeah, on Instagram, it's uh, Dapper Penguin. Mm -hmm. And then you have, do you have a uh, website you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I mean, for all my social media, it's my, my first and last name. It's just all Jacob Zitino. Um, Dapper Penguin, uh, the same. On Twitter, there's an underscore before Dapper Penguin. And then our website is uh, dapperpenguininc.com. Okay. Well, Jacob, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I know that you're very busy, so I appreciate you fitting me into your schedule. And we'll have to get together soon. Definitely. And thank you for having me. Again, I am truly grateful. Thank you.